it organically, really like spontaneously. It's not just going in there and making a noise, folks. <laughs> the Classic Rock Files with Kelly Parker and Mike Young. Hi, Mike. Hi, Kelly. Well, I didn't see this headline coming. Apparently. Tell this, me the headline. <laughs> well, this, I don't actually have the headline, but what I have is the story here. Klaus Mine, we heard a couple of weeks ago, course of the Scorpions, there was a story out that maybe Wind of Change was written by the CIA. Now, I myself, I don't know about you, I myself, I was slightly skeptical. You, you were calling shenanigans. I was. And it turns out, apparently it's shenanigans, at least according to Klaus. This whole story started, we talked about this, a new podcast that's coming out by New Yorker journalist Patrick Radden Keefe. Eight episodes, it's an investigation after hearing a secondhand story from a friend who used to work for the CIA that the song Wind of Change by the Scorpions was written by the CIA to encourage change through the Soviet Union. So he's delved into this, interviewed a ton of people. I'm not going to spoil anything, but he comes to his own conclusion at the end. Sure. So it's just worth listening to and seeing what he comes across and what people think of his idea. But Klaus Mine, who is credited for writing the song, says, no bueno, <laughs> or whatever the equivalent of German is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Nine? that's not a direct quote. Um, he said, here's his explanation. So he says, Klaus, have you ever heard the story that Wind of Change was written by the CIA? And Klaus says, I cracked up laughing. I totally cracked up laughing. So I responded, so my friend, you think you make an interview with a songwriter or you think you make an interview with a spy? See, now you have to have your own accent in there to make that make sense it was pretty bizarre and then i learned the story and he says you know what i love the podcast he says they're very professional they're very creative and the way they put it together it feels like a netflix series but he said that's what it is it's a podcast and there will be a lot of people who will get into this it's a fascinating idea it's an entertaining idea but it's not true at all yeah he said uh like you american guys would say it's fake news <laughs> Although Crooked Media, they do a lot of really good podcasts, so I think I'll still listen to that just to see the argument that they make. Yeah, I think this podcast specifically, we've talked about the idea of the journey being uh, greater than the destination. Mm -hmm. That's what this thing is. You know, the destination's going to be, uh, I don't know, but just talking to all these different people about the story and if they've heard it before and blah, 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 I think it's going to be fun to take part in. Keith told Deadline about the decision to explore the topic that it was a story that stretches across musical genres, across borders and periods of history. So it was important to me that you hear the music and the accents and the voices and judge for yourself who might be lying and who is telling the truth. I've had so much fun pursuing this story over the course of a year, exploring the dark byways of Cold War history and doing nearly 100 interviews in four countries with both rockers and spies. Often the international intrigue really has me intrigued. You know what? This is why I had to stop watching The Curse of Oak Island. I didn't even start with The Curse of Civil War Gold. You've cut the cord, so you probably don't even I know, know those shows. I, I watched the first two seasons of Oak Island. I realized at that point, they're never finding a thing. <laughs> That's what I realized. You lasted two seasons. I actually, I think I pushed it to about three. And I, then it was just, I can't. They're not going to, they're, they're never going to find anything. There's nothing here and they're not finding anything. And I love me a good treasure hunt thing. That and show's still going, isn't it? Is it not? Oh, yeah. Oh, they've apparently found some stuff. I don't believe it. But not the thing. That's why I can't watch those anymore. And uh, although I would like to maybe check out this podcast series, I'm tired of being disappointed. Life is hard enough. Don't be disappointed. Just know going in that you're not going to get an ending.
But you might learn something along the way. Okay, as we continue with the pandemic here, we're all looking ahead to what life will be like on the other side, or even more short term. Well, it turns out that uh, Arkansas uh, might be the canary in the coal mine on this one because Travis McCready, who is uh, with the country rock outfit Bishop Gunn, was planning to play one of the first socially distanced concerts in the state of Arkansas uh, coming up on Friday night, I guess? Yeah. yeah, Friday night, the 15th. But uh, apparently getting some pushback from the state's governor. I talked about this story last week when you were on vacation and i outlined that this show was set to test some things that might become the future of us going to see concerts so this was like a thousand plus seat venue in fort smith arkansas Mm -hmm. and they cut it down to 229 people was the capacity and they were selling tickets in these things called fan pods and basically what they were was like two to twelve tickets and you had to buy them as groups you couldn't just buy individual tickets you were in this pod with people that you knew um so they weren't weren't going to sell all 229 seats but these pods were socially distanced Mm -hmm. so you were with people that you knew in this grouping everyone had to wear a mask that was in the concert everyone's temperature was taken before they could get in uh concessions were going to be individually packaged beforehand Mm -hmm. so there was no pouring there was no scooping popcorn uh all of that and then the sanitation was going to be taken to a whole other level with people like in the bathroom at all times sanitizing sinks and all that stuff to make sure that everyone was following the rules you know what we could just shorthand all of this to say no fun whatsoever no you couldn't even clap your hands touching was against the rules <laughs> you can't even touch yourself quiet wooing that's all you oh could do oh my god that's horrible uh so this thing was a go and then the governor said no ben they said you will not have this concert because a it comes three days before the uh, state was allowed to quote unquote reopen and also, it's way above the 50-person limit for gathering. So, now, meanwhile, this guy's come back and said, you know what, we're going to go ahead with it anyway. So I guess we'll follow this story. I don't know. But nobody wants to get back to concerts more than I do. But this is not a concert. I mean, the big part about concerts, and you know who wrote a great piece about it in The New Yorker was... Um, James Keefe? Not James... <laughs> No, no. Dave, Sorry, that's the only name for I New Yorker I know. No, Dave Grohl uh, wrote a great essay in the New Yorker, and I posted it a couple of days ago. And uh, he just talks about concerts and the community that is concerts. You know, you, we've all been to parties, house parties that didn't end up being any good. Or you go to an event, uh, like a social, for example. You know, you've got a, this big cabiners thing, and there's about 12 people in there. You don't have the, I don't know, the surface tension. The, 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 you got to have a certain compression of people in there and souls in there. Otherwise, it's just crickets. Even if there are people there. You need and, to have guy who's drank too much at the party. Also guy who drank too much. Yeah. Just what's he going to do? Sure. <laughs> and so without that, it seems to me that it would be a complete bummer for the band. And with the place less than a quarter full and all these, uh, just it, no, no thank you. I'm in a place that I don't think a lot of people are in and... It's probably for a number of reasons. One, I'm not very fun. But two, um, <laughs> I've seen so many concerts in my life. Yeah. And I feel like right now, in a few months into this pandemic, I have no interest in concerts at this point. You know, I just don't have any interest to go. I don't have any interest when they're going to come back. Like, I don't care. And I'm wondering if that'll just continue to be or if a few months go down the road and I get an itch to go to a live show again. But right now, if concerts never came back, I'd be like, I've seen a lot, I'm good. This is the concern that people have got about not only concerts, but any venue... uh, Sports as well. Sports as well, is that right now we are learning to live our lives without those things. It's a big concern for these big events. And it's hard to inject, look at anything that's gone away Mm -hmm. and then tried to come back. It's hard to get it to get back into your routine, your rotation, your 
things that you do and look forward to. It's hard to take that money that you would spend on a concert, all of a sudden you take it and move it towards other things in your life, and then now concerts and sports are back, and, well, where do I get that budget that I had once used for yeah. concerts and sports that I no longer have access to? I've, yeah. I've already taken that money and pushed it elsewhere. And this is the concern with all kinds of businesses, but let me ask you this. You had tickets for Rage, right? Yes, I still have tickets for Rage. Oh, yeah, right. So now I'm wondering if this is a defense mechanism for you that you've just put yourself in this mind space to be without concerts for X amount of time, because if all of a sudden everything changed tomorrow and Rage was rescheduled for a month from now, would you then start becoming excited to see that show? And I think you probably would. I, yeah, I don't know, because ha- it's not a thing that's happened to me, so I, I try to put myself in that atmosphere, but I guess because it's been postponed and not cancelled, there's nothing to be sad about yet. I haven't lost anything. We'll see if, because I'm going to see Ramstein Stadium Tour in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's still on yeah. at the current time. Hey, good luck with that. But uh, if when that's cancelled, I really want to see that, and I've never seen them before, so maybe that's a show that, like, ah, or as Rage Against the Machine, I've seen twice already, and this mm-hmm. has been postponed, not cancelled, so right now I'm just in a headspace where, like, I'm cool, you know? Yeah. I don't need sports, I don't need concerts, I'm good. I'm trying to be all... I wonder how many people are with are on my side, and how many people are like you and really missing it. Yeah, I'm just trying to be all Buddha about it. And it's just like, let the world flow past me. It's okay. It's all right. But then, as soon as they're announced, if I could go tomorrow, ooh, I'm out there. Would you still be excited to go tomorrow if a bunch of new rules were implemented that changed fundamentally the experience of concerts that you know and love? Because a group has been formed, uh, I think obviously based in the United States, um, that is called the Event Safety Alliance. And this is a group that is combined with, I believe, like Ticketmaster employees, venue promoters, people who work at concert venues. It's a whole focus group of people who are different touch points of the concert experience. They've gotten together and they've put out kind of a 29-page guide that's gone to U.S. states. And it's their recommendations at a time when concerts can come back. What will they look like? Now, you shared this with me, and I had a look at this list. Okay, so now think of what your experience of concerts is, what you like about concerts. Now, you put these things in place, and it might change. Required masks, uh, staggered lines into the venues so people don't have to cluster, temperature screening for every concert patron. No more general admission floors. No crowd surfing or moshing. No Mm -hmm. pushing towards the front of the stage with an open kind of pit area at the front where people would push up towards Mm -hmm. the front of the stage. Mm -hmm. So all of that's also recommended to be removed from concerts. And there's already things on this list that you've mentioned in terms of temperature screenings and masks. I'm already out. If that's (laughs) the requirements for going to concerts, I'm out already. So, And I think a lot of people are going to be the same way. People wearing masks, I don't feel as safe being in a room with everyone wearing masks. You Mm -hmm. know, you can't see their faces. You'd be on edge a little bit if you were somewhere and everyone's wearing masks around you because they can't be identified. Um, and then the, t- the temperature. I hate the metal detectors. Think how long it's going to take for everyone to be screened. I, I get to a concert at 3 o'clock in the afternoon if it starts at 7 just to get in line. If you're lucky, you might have to go a couple of days beforehand. Yeah. So things like that just really like, okay, this is the straw for me that breaks the camel's back. And I say it's not worth the trouble. It's not worth the changes I have to make in my life for me to go see Rage Against the Machine I'll just buy the DVD, whatever it is. (laughs) For me, I think it might come down to going to a show where those things are in place and seeing if there's still a vibe there. You're willing to try it out once. Yeah, I'd be willing to kick that tire, to dip that toe. You're being open-minded. Yet I am prepared to be disappointed. Well, that's the best way to go into things. (laughs) Lower your expectations in all things you endeavor into. One thing that I didn't find in this document, and 
I have to believe that it's got to be part of some kind of a plan in terms of reopening is staggered seating. Because you know how they cram people into these concerts or sporting events. Mm-hmm. You look at the seats at Bell MTS Place. When you sit next to a stranger, you're touching them arm to arm. Yeah. That can't fly anymore. No. So every second seat is going to have to be empty. Venues are already reduced to half capacity. On the floor, I mentioned no standing room. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in seats. Again, every second seat. And when you have seats on the floor versus people on the floor, you can cram less people in there. Yep. So venues that all of a sudden bands were used to going into, and if they sold out, they could, you know, get... 12,000 people Mm -hmm. in, now 6,000 is your capacity. So what does that do to viability of venues, prices of concert tickets? Yeah, the economics are almost prohibitive at that point. You know, this is going to be, this is going to be possibly catastrophic to the music industry. It's going to change everything. Not necessarily permanently. It's only right now and for the foreseeable future. But if we have a vaccine, if we have effective treatments, and if life gets back to quote-unquote normal, we might be back to a normal concert situation. And I pray for that because I agree with you. If it doesn't get back to that, if this is the scenario, it's disastrous. Finally here, just before we wrap it up, the home recordings keep coming fast and furious. Charlie Benante of Anthrax, he is their drummer. He has teamed up with Alex Skolnick, who is a guitarist in Testament, Rod Diaz, who is from Suicidal Tendencies, and Brandon Yegley from the band Crowbot. And together, the four of them have, <laughs> this is really weird, they've covered Rush's Red Barchetta in tribute to Little Richard. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too, and I don't... Uh... Talking about shoehorning in something you've already done... <laughs> <laughs> to somehow make it where this is the perfect example of what happened with Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. They got Tina Turner to provide the theme. They put her in the movie, yeah. and they said, Tina Turner, we'd love for you to write a song for this movie. And she's like, well, I have this song called We Don't Need Another Hero. And they're like, well, this has nothing to do with the movie. Like, what yeah. if I just add Thunderdome to the end of the title? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll accept that. <laughs> So this is what it sounds like. And, of course, when you hear uh, Red Barchetta from Rush, I know I always think of uh, Little Richard. Here's what it sounded like. okay i would like to hear took do that because they do a fantastic version of spirit of radio tough to get the getty lee vocals down but i thought brandon yegley does a pretty good job of sounding like getty without being so over the top trying to sound like getty that you're bringing everything down around you which is why there are probably so few rush tribute bands out there mm-hmm. although the difficult music would also contribute to yeah. that as well and even fewer who do it in the name of little richard that is the classic rock files 94.3 the drive music director mike young thank you thank you